Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, mine website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gethler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 23 in our series for 2022, and today's date is Friday, July the 8th. First, I'll be talking to Garrett Flower, CEO and founder of ParkOffice.io, all the way in Ireland, which uses a COVID-19-focused solution, allowing employers to track which staff members require parking at the office on a given day. An algorithm then allocates available parking to those who are most vulnerable or whose need is the greatest. By leveraging the park office solution, companies will be able to increase parking availability by up to 40%. Park office is a leading parking management software solution for smart offices that optimises employee parking by assigning and releasing parking spaces as required, reducing administrative costs and adding value to real estate. And I'll be talking to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver about how the market is performing. But now let's talk to Garrett Flower. Garrett, tell us about park office. How does it work? Yeah, so I suppose it it started when uh, about six years ago, I'd sold my last business, which was a food business in the bakery space. And I um, did what every young guy who gets some money does. And I bought a car. (laughs) And the first day with the car, I was driving around Dublin and Ireland and uh, couldn't find any parking spaces. And so that's what started me on this journey in the parking industry to solve this parking problem. And so in doing this for the last five years with my company, Park Office, we've realized that sharing spots now post-COVID is the most efficient thing to do. If you look at the buildings, big office buildings and residential buildings, there's so much wasted space on a daily basis. And so what we have is you have lots of different different companies and uh, people who have apartments and they may not need the full use of the parking spaces anymore on a full week basis. So what we do is we allow companies, employees to release the spot when it's not being used and it goes out into a pool and other people can then use that spot on a day that they need it, making it a lot more convenient, more efficient and just helping people. Uh, to find space when they actually need it. So what sort of technology do you use for that? So I've been fortunate enough to to find some really great technology partners to join uh, the team. 
and um, they've built out a full stack website and app, parkoffice.io, that allows now our users to simply go on, download the app and use uh, parkoffice to uh, when their company is registered to start sharing spots. So does that mean anyone can find a parking spot using parkoffice? Is that how it works? Yeah, so, so when we started on the journey, we, t- we started out in that mission of allowing everyone to park and find parking. And what we've realized is that really the biggest companies in the world, biggest landlords and real estate companies, they don't want to rent out spaces to just anyone driving on the street. They want to see trust in the market and they want to feel that, that they can trust the people who are getting the space. So what we started doing is sharing the spots initially with other companies and other employees in the same building or business park. So that's the trust piece. The second piece is once we've built the trust, then we're starting to share with maybe the building next door and the employees in that building or in the, the buildings surrounding that building. And that's, that's where we build out what we call it, this trust pipeline. And so we start from there. And what we found is that's very successful. There's generally in areas where parking is in demand, there's another building next door where there's more people who demand that parking space also. So, I mean, you would have to know the area very well. Well, we're, we're in, the funny thing about this, Leon, is we're, our software is right now in 20 countries, countries I've never been to. Really? <laughs> yeah, which is pretty fascinating, to be honest. Starting out in the bakery world, selling door to door, no really building relationship with the people I'm selling to, and now selling software across 20 countries, places I've never been to, languages I don't speak. It's pretty fascinating, actually. So what countries would they be? Oh, well, New Zealand, Australia, for one. Uh, I haven't been there yet. <laughs> Luxembourg, Belgium, Denmark. These are just some, some, some on the hit list. But uh, Canada is another one I think I'll hopefully get to soon. That's one I'm looking at. But I suppose what's fascinating about software is that it can really help scale and solve global problems. You know, parking is a global pain in the ass. You know, you ha- it's probably in the top 10 least favorite words in the dictionary. <laughs> we, we've come up with a solution to solve one segment of the market um, that we feel is enormous. And uh, it's not one you would, you know, immediately look at and go, oh, yeah, there's an idea. But it's one that has an enormous real estate footprint. And if you were to take the roof off the buildings across Australia and New Zealand, for example, you would see more parking spaces in office and residential buildings than all the on-street parking combined. And so that's an enormous amount of space that's probably lying idle if you go and look at it uh, today. And of course, uh, it would also, cruising around for parking spot would cause a lot of pollution, wouldn't it? And would add to climate change. Right. Right. What we're seeing right now is a really interesting mix across the 20 countries is that people are choosing to go into the office less, right? So, you know, you might be uh, at your home office uh, and then choose to go into the office maybe on Wednesdays and Thursdays from now on. And there's a lot of companies choosing to do that. We choose to do that as our own company. And so what we're seeing is for those days that people are choosing to go into the office, they're overwhelmingly choosing to drive to the office on those days so that they're stacking other things in those days. The day out of the house, you know, I'm going shopping, 
going to see my friends, maybe going to the restaurant after work, picking up some things. And people are choosing to keep that added flexibility with the car and not other modes of transport. So what's, what that's causing is an extra layer of flexible management required from companies and residential landlords. And that's where Park Office comes in. So we do all that seamlessly through software, um, which, is, which is really interesting. The second part, which I think is pretty uh, exciting, Leon, is I think we're heading towards a future of autonomous vehicles. I think that in five to 15 years, the car will park itself. I think nobody likes parking. And the second you can eliminate the hassle of parking from your life, you will do that. And so when you get in your Tesla, let's say in five years time, and you, you get to the restaurant, you'll jump out with your friends and you'll press park. The car will go off and park itself. And I just don't believe that the car won't park in these empty residential or office buildings when all the space is lying idle. I think the car will have to get access and that will be powered through our software. So you can actually power the automated car to park office in the future. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. I mean, what's interesting too is your model is actually creating a new hybrid workplace, isn't it? Right. Right. Exactly. I, I, I totally agree. I think everyone you know, technology is changing so fast. It's changed even, you know, in the last 12 years I've, I've been in business and I think you have to embrace it. And the people who embrace it gain usually most reward. And like, yeah, our company is, is uh, remote first. Now I see that there's a war on talent for most talented individuals. And when you are highly talented, you want more flexibility. You want more ownership over your role and your life. I think a hybrid work model is most likely the future. And so park office would fit in quite well with that hybrid workplace? Exactly, exactly. So essentially when you when you have a look at, let's say these office buildings of today and residential buildings, what you have is this added layer now where you're coming in maybe two days out of the five days a week. Before COVID, it was a lot easier to manage because let's say, Leon, you, you have a parking space you're going in, you pay your monthly fee and you're going in five days a week. That's easy to manage, easier to manage, right? Now you're only going in Wednesday and Thursday. And so this parking asset that you're paying for, you start to think, okay, well, why am I paying a monthly permit if I'm only going in two days? How can I maybe reduce this cost? And so you're having people ask that same question all across the world. And then you're at the exact same time you're having this increased demand for parking on those on separate days, right? Across the world. And at the same time, you're seeing companies and who, who are looking at this problem saying, how are we going to manage this? Do we have someone who's going to fill out a, a form, an Excel sheet, calculate how, how many times has Leon got parking this month? Maybe I should give some spaces to Gareth. Who's making these calls? Is it payments? Who gets payment first? If, if there's a waiting list, this is a real pain. And this is something that we just take away from employers. And that's why we've been able to scale. You know, we grew 140% in the last 12 months. We're now, you know, continuously uh, growing month on month. And I suppose, you know, we're actually looking to open an office over there 
relatively soon. So it's it's an exciting time. And I think that's a real statement of of the world, you know, requiring this service. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that, that is that is quite that's quite extraordinary. And Garrett, it's been wonderful talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. Same to yourself. Thanks for having me on. And now let's talk to AMP Capital Chief Economist Shane Oliver. Well, Shane, the market's had a very tough first half with fears about recession and concerns about inflation and the war in Ukraine. What's your view? It's, it's certainly been a rough uh, start to the calendar year. The share markets globally, they've lost about 10%. Uh, the Australian share market also lost um, around 10%, although if you add in dividends, uh, that return is sort of cut back to a loss of about 5% or thereabouts. Uh, but still, a pretty rough uh, start to the to the calendar year. And of course, uh, government bonds have had their worst losses on some measures in hundreds of years in Australia. On my calculation, it's seen the worst rolling annual 12-month uh, loss on government bonds since the 1930s. So certainly a rough start to the year. And obviously, that drags down balanced or growth-oriented investment strategies, including superannuation funds. The main driver of this, of course, has been the, the pickup in inflation, which has started about a year ago, but has turned out a lot worse than many expected, say, six months ago. And that, of course, has meant that central banks have had to become a lot more aggressive in raising interest rates, and that have particularly affected share markets through May and especially through June, the rather bad end of the financial year in that sense. I guess the question mark is, you know, where to from here? Obviously, recession is the big fear. I must admit, I sort of get a bit wary when everyone's talking about recession, then maybe it's not going to happen. But I think it, we're certainly going to see a slowdown in growth, and you'd have to say recession is a fairly significant risk. Uh, that said, share markets have already had quite sharp falls globally, you know, down more than 20% or so from their high points. And in Australia, uh, top to bottom fall in the lows a few weeks ago, down around 16%. Uh, so we've already seen sharp falls. But if we do go into recession, we're probably going to see more earnings weakness, which will drag markets a little bit lower. I guess. There is some reason for optimism, though, and I, I tend to think you know, we'll probably come down a little bit further over the next three or four months. You know, the September quarter is often a rough one for share markets, but you know, there are signs, at least in the US, that inflation may be peaking. And uh, we have seen a, a decline in supplier delivery times, backlogs are falling, price indicators in various business surveys look to be rolling over. Some commodity prices have softened, including many of the metals. Uh, food prices are off their highs, you know, wheat and corn. And so all of that suggests we may get some relief later this year, which should enable central banks to pull back, at least in time to avoid, uh, if not a recession, but at least avoid a severe recession, if that's going to be the outcome. So I think there is some reason for optimism, but in the short term, there is a high risk that we might see more weakness in markets out for the next three or four months. Right, okay. But uh, is there evidence that inflation is falling? Well, if you look at the US, if you look at the headline number, of course, for the CPI in May, uh, for which the most recent numbers data relates to, it rose to 8.6%, which is the highest in this cycle so far. And you've got to go back to the 1980s to see an inflation number like that. And likewise, in Europe, the inflation numbers for June rose to 8.6%. Uh, that said, if you look at uh, the US where it all started and look at the core, so ex extracting the impact of food and energy, there, there is evidence that it may be starting to slow. The uh, what they call the core PCE deflator, which is the private consumption expenditure deflator in the US, it's the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. It uh, fell to 4.7% when the numbers came out on Friday night, Thursday night rather, and and that 
that number uh, is down from a high around 5% a few months ago and the monthly rate of increase is slowed down. And when you put that together with signs that, you know, we are seeing a decline in supplier delivery times, we're seeing a um, decline in order backlogs and so on, um, that suggests that some of the bottlenecks that were causing inflation problems may be starting to abate a little bit and gives me some confidence that inflation might start to, to head lower um, or head decline further over the course of the year. But uh, it's still a high number, whichever way you cut it. That's why the central bank for now will remain fairly aggressive and not just the Fed, also the RBA and other central banks around the world. Right, okay, okay. So you would still see the RBA raising interest rates to the end of the year? Well, obviously, there's a, uh, we're now in July. There's another meeting coming up. Some people might get to hear this podcast after that meeting has delivered uh, an increase. So we expect an increase in July. The debate is whether it will be 25 or 50. We lean to 50. Whatever it is, I think there'll be some more hikes to come beyond that. Uh, the RBA, like other central banks, has uh, become more hawkish lately. It's, it's realised the severity of the problem realise that it's got to act up to make sure inflation expectations don't rise, that people regard the 2 to 3% inflation as target as serious. And so that's why it's been more aggressive in the last little while. But I think as we go into the end of the year, the pace of rate hikes will slow down and, and we may see some months where the RBA doesn't move. So by the end of the year, we see the cash rate rising to 2.1% uh, and we see the cash rate peaking at uh, around 2.5, maybe 2.6% uh, in the first half of next year. So that's quite a bit lower than what the money market's been telling us. The money market at one stage expected the cash rate to rise well above 4%. Uh, that to us seemed too hawkish because it will mean a more than doubling in household debt interest payments. And I think that would cause a crash in the property market. You're not just talking about a 20% fall, you're probably talking about 30% or more potentially. Uh, in property markets, particularly in the more overinflated cities like Sydney, the prices have gone up by more and debt levels are higher. And I think that would probably cause a, a recession. So I, I think that's pro the money market got a bit too hawkish here. So we see the cash rate having more upside, but a slowing in the pace by the end of the year and the cash rate ultimately peaking at around two and a half, maybe 2.6%. Uh, the $64 question is, do you see a recession coming? Certainly people like Nouriel Rabini are predicting. There's actually quite a lot of people predicting recessions. One survey I saw of investors suggested that 70% were expecting a recession. Another one had 88% probability. This was on a US recession either this year or next year. Uh, so it has pretty much become a consensus call, whether it's fully factored into markets or not. I, I, I doubt if you do get a, a particularly deep recession, then that's not fully factored into markets. You could quite easily see a lot more downside in shares because we haven't yet seen the earnings declines that would come from a recession. I, I, I think it's not it's not certain just yet. It's, it's a close to a 50-50 risk, but there is a path whereby the Fed and other countries will be able to avoid a recession, and that is where inflation starts to cool off. Uh, central banks are then able to ease up on the break and avoid a recession. But So our base case is that a recession is avoided, and therefore, at some time in the next three to four months, there'll be opportunities in share markets. But by the same token, I'd have to say the risk is reasonably high, and that's going to keep markets fairly volatile in the uh, the next few months. Which would suggest that if that happens, if indeed there's no recession, the markets will pick up in the next uh, four months' time. Would that be right? Yeah, I think on a 12-month horizon, if there is no recession, or if recession turns out to be very brief and mild, then I think share markets would have upside in that scenario. Because... 
we often see this. The share markets look ahead. The, the Australian share market peaked in August last year. Most global markets peaked either late last year or early this year. Uh, so, th- so they move well ahead when everyone's optimistic and happy. The share markets often top out and, and anticipating tougher times ahead. And likewise, the same would happen this time around, that at some point the markets will say, oh, okay, we factored in you know, the worst now, and some would start looking for opportunities and that would push markets higher. And my base case is that that will... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Probably start from around September, October. Or thereabouts. Obviously, there's a lot of water to go under the bridge, and crystal balls, including mine, are a bit hazy at this point in time. So that makes timing markets very hard, particularly around market bottoms, as we saw back in 2020 with the pandemic low. No one uh, thought markets would bottom in late March 2020, and no one believed the initial rally. So I, I suspect it's going to be as difficult this time around as well. So for longer-term investors, and I think that's the key for many investors you know no one has a perfect crystal ball no one has a perfect timing model for markets the best bet is to to take a long-term approach and recognize that when you do get these falls they are part and parcel of investing in share markets that this volatility is the price you pay for higher longer returns we get out of shares relative to most other assets and so a a better approach is to either hold steady stick to a long-term investment strategy or alternatively look for the opportunities that market falls throw up because as share share prices come down, shares become cheaper and they provide higher prospective long-term returns. And so these sort of declines do provide opportunities for long-term investors. Well, we'll see. I I noticed Comsec is talking about uh, the market picking up 7% uh, over next year, but uh, we'll watch that with great interest. We certainly will. I mean, my base case is, yes, we will see markets up over the next 12 months. Next three months, um, probably more downside, but on a, on a 12-month horizon, I think we'll see the markets up. So it really depends on an investor's time horizon. If they can take a long-term approach, which I think most should, uh, you try and look through it. Um, but obviously, if you're into timing markets, then you, you're probably holding back a little bit and waiting for, for more evidence that markets have actually bottomed out. And so far, we haven't yet seen that evidence. Well, Shane, that's all quite enlightening. And thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Leon. Take care. So what's happening in the news? Well, brokerage firm Nomura Holdings expects recessions in the euro area, the UK, Japan, South Korea, Australia and Canada next year as central banks move to aggressively tighten monetary policy to fight surging inflation. And Australia's central bank delivered its first ever consecutive half percentage point interest rate hike and reaffirmed a commitment to do whatever it takes to quell accelerating inflation. The Reserve Bank of Australia took the cash rate to 1.35% 
the highest since May 2019, in a move that was predicted by economists. Tuesday's tightening was the RBA's third interest rate increase in as many months as it follows global peers in moving aggressively to prevent inflation from spiralling out of control. The RBA is expected to continue to hike aggressively over the remainder of the year, with rates rising at most meetings between now and December. The RBA is tipped to lift the official interest rate to 1.85% in August in the most aggressive tightening cycle in almost 30 years. The market is pricing in a cash rate of 3% by year-end, rising to 3.5% by April next year. And Elon Musk's fortune plunged almost US $62 billion. Jeff Bezos saw his wealth tumble by about US $63 billion. And Mark Zuckerberg's net worth was slashed by more than half. All told, the world's 500 richest people lost US $1.4 trillion in the first half of 2022, a dizzying decline that marks the steepest six-month drop ever for the global billionaire class. It's a sharp departure from the previous two years when the fortunes of the ultra-rich swelled as governments and central banks unleashed unprecedented stimulus measures in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, juicing the value of everything from tech companies to cryptocurrencies. With policymakers now raising interest rates to combat elevated inflation, some of the highest flying shares and the billionaires who own them are losing altitude fast. Tesla had its worst quarter ever in the three months through June, while Amazon.com plummeted by the most since the dot-com bubble burst. Still, though the losses are piling up for the world's richest people, it only represents a modest move toward narrowing wealth inequality. Musk, Tesla's co-founder, still has the biggest fortune on the planet at US $208.5 billion, while Amazon's Bezos is second with US $129.6 billion net worth, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. And the deluge of rain, again sweeping New South Wales, has delivered another devastating blow to farmers, upending agricultural operations with food prices set to rise further. The New South Wales floods disasters has endangered $1 billion in produce, threatening a new shock to food prices. As farmers warned that the latest floods in Sydney's agricultural basin would keep the price of vegetables high for weeks on top of elevated energy and fuel costs, new economic figures showed that jobs and housing markets remain more robust. Farmers and industry groups said the damage to cropping added to the strain of rising fuel and fertiliser costs, stymieing western and central New South Wales recovery from years of drought, followed by 2021's mice plague. New South Wales Farmers Association President James Jackson said the agricultural value of the Sydney city basin affected by the floods was about $1 billion and the price of leafy vegetables, including lettuce, would remain elevated. Mr Jackson said he was receiving reports from canola growers that they had lost between $50,000 and $900,000 worth of seed. Mr Jackson said that after being hit by natural disasters three times this year and four times in 18 months, people on floodplains would be reassessing their options and whether to continue in the industry. And in the wake of the floods, Suncor renewed its own reinsurance, that's insurance for insurers to meet the cost of disasters, but warned investors the costs of that cover have increased significantly. Suncor also will wear more damage itself for reinsurance for a string of smaller calamities such as hailstorms in regional areas. Analysts said the new reinsurance cover was likely to have cost Suncor at least 20% and the high excess levels in some cover likely affected reinsurance being uneconomical if renewed at various levels. Insurers were receiving claims on Monday following several days of rain, with numbers rapidly rising. Sydney-based IAG, whose brands include NRMA, on Monday afternoon had recorded 711 claims since June the 30th. Hunter Green insurance analyst Mark Tomlins said the risk was the latest flooding would be so costly that it tripped levels where insurers' own reinsurance kicks in. That could focus attention on development in flood-prone areas, he said. 
He added, it could also trigger questions about any correlation between recent flooding leaving the soil too saturated to absorb more water, worsening any successive flooding now, and how insurers could price for such risk. Any additional reinsurance claims would it potentially feed into insurers feeling pressured to raise premiums, he said. And PwC has put a partner on leave over allegations that include threatening a former staff member in a phone call and attending male-only events where female personnel were rated on their attractiveness. PwC has launched an investigation into the partner, calling in law firm Ashurst to handle the inquiry. The partner allegedly made threats of assault during a phone call to a former staff member and then repeatedly redialed the number after the call ended. The partner is also accused of attending a strip club with PwC personnel and taking part in a yearly men-only gathering referred to internally as the Section 55 event. During the event, those involved would allegedly rate the top five most attractive females in the firm, according to the complaint. And millions of superannuation fund members across the nation are facing their first negative return since the global financial crisis, with estimates of a potential dip in retirement savings as high as 5%. The nation's largest fund, Australian Super, kicked off the Super Fund reporting season on Monday by telling its 2.7 million members that its balanced option, which 90% of them are invested in, delivered a return of negative 2.73% for the financial year. This is better than expected from the industry across the board, with estimates from analysts ranging from a 3% fall to as much as 5% for the most popular balanced options. And all are warning that the strong rebound in super fund returns that occurred in the 2021 financial year is unlikely to be replicated soon, as interest rate increases, inflation and global political turmoil continue to unsettle investment markets. Australian Super delivered the first negative return for its balance fund since 2009, when members' balances fell 13.3% in the wake of the GFC. And thousands of Australian companies collapsed in the last financial year, marked by a string of high-profile construction companies' insolvencies, and with interest rates and inflation on the rise, there are expectations of a wave of failures in 2022-23. In the last 12 months, the construction industry suffered a perfect storm of conditions, including supply chain disruptions, skilled labour shortages, skyrocketing costs of materials and logistics, and extreme weather events. Household names such as ProBuild, Privium, BA Murphy, Condev, ABD Group, Waterford Homes, and Pivotal Homes were just a few of the building sector's casualties in the last 12 months. Across all sectors in Australia in 2021-22, there were 3,917 liquidations or administration appointments. The biggest number of collapses was in New South Wales at 1,536, followed by Victoria with 1,022 and Queensland at 665. That was followed by 350 for Western Australia, 196 for South Australia, 91 for ACT, 29 in Tasmania and 28 in the Northern Territory. Predator wind-ups have triggered the majority of insolvencies and the construction sector has grown to represent 28% of all Australian-wide insolvencies. And Qantas's offer of a one-off $5,000 bonus has failed to placate the Engineers' Union, which has got permission from the Fair Work Commission to ask members if they're prepared to take industrial action as they battle for higher pay. The Australian Licensed Aircraft Engineers Association got the go-ahead to conduct the protected industrial action in Bullard on Wednesday as it negotiates with Qantas for new enterprise bargaining agreements. And Europe's biggest hydrogen project is stepping up its search for Australian imports to help quadruple supplies of clean energy and cut the continent's reliance on natural gas in the wake of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Seeking millions of tonnes of hydrogen imports, the Port of Rotterdam wants to scale up the supply of Australian hydrogen in one of the world's biggest projects to import and generate the clean and transportable fuel. 
But Australia is in a race with, with the other countries to generate hydrogen from solar and wind at enough scale to export energy in vast quantities to meet a European Union goal of using 20 million tonnes of hydrogen e- each year by 2030, up from a target of only 5 million tonnes before the energy crisis. And Westpac will close another 24 branches shortly, taking the number of branch closes recently to more than 100. Westpac will close branches under the Westpac Bank of Melbourne and St George brands in Victoria, South Australia, Queensland and Western Australia. The finance sector union said 76 staff would lose their jobs in Westpac's return to its aggressive branch closure program. The bank's Australian branch numbers fell by 80 to 8,851 over the year to the end of September 21, while New Zealand branch numbers fell by 18 to 116. And the federal government should phase out policies that encourage greater extraction of oil and gas and provide funding for green steel and aluminium industries so that Australia can seize the opportunity to flourish in a net-zero global economy, the Grattan Institute says. Strict emission reduction requirements need to be imposed on industrial plans, while a fund should be set up to ensure the risk of major capital investments to install low-emissions technology, the Institute said in a report, recommending measures Australia should adapt for the next industrial revolution. The Grattan Institute says government and industry need to forge a new strategic partnership to take advantage of the opportunities, creating jobs and boosting prosperity in a net-zero world. It calls for all or most coal, coal royalties to be directed to coal regions for as long as coal mining continues and for the creation of sovereign wealth funds so that the benefits of the pending mining boom in critical minerals can be shared with future generations. Grattan warns that unless governments manage the coming industrial revolution well, Australia's social fabric could tear, especially in the regions of New South Wales and Queensland, where tens of thousands of coal mining jobs will disappear by 2050. And Crown Resorts is facing another up to $100 million fine from Victorian regulators, this time for breaches of the responsible gambling laws, after the bruising Royal Commission into its Melbourne South Bank Casino. It adds to the $80 million the Victorian Gambling Casino Control Commission has already fined the company following the inquiry. Still, this could just be the tip of the iceberg for Crown, as regulators continue investigations and say they're considering further potential disciplinary proceedings arising from other matters highlighted by the Royal Commission. Of the issues canvassed by the Royal Commission, the now privately owned casino giant has received fines for its illegal use of China Union pay credit and debit cards to fund gambling at the casino, evading the bank's internal controls and anti-money laundering laws and, and its relationship with junkets. Though the probe covered the latter in detail, the fines the Crown incurred for failing to conduct adequate due diligence and or failing to cease business with unsuitable junket operators came from investigations started before the Royal Commission, so there could be more action on this front in future. Further, the VGCCC has yet to announce any disciplinary action arising from Crown's underpayment of state gambling taxes. Crown paid back $61 million in unpaid taxes in July last year, but told investors the Victorian Commission for Gambling and Liquor Regulator, the forerunner of the, v- the, of the VGCCC, was still investigating the matter to determine the final amount of the tax due. And the amount of grid-scale battery storage in Australia is expected to more than quadruple over the next five years, a far cry from 2017 when the Elon Musk-backed batter- big battery in South Australia was considered controversial. By 2027... Queensland is expected to overtake Victoria as a state with the most storage capacity of 1.8 gigawatts, the Clean Energy Council estimates, while Edifier Energy recently signed off on what it says will be the largest grid-forming battery in the nation in the Riverina region in New South Wales. The CEC says there are currently 15 projects capable of providing 800 megawatts across the nation. The largest is Neon's 300-megawatt battery in Victoria, which contributes to that state currently leading the nation with 376 megawatts of capacity. 
Over the next five years, it, ex it is expected an additional 18 projects will be introduced that are currently either under construction, reached financial close, or have development approval, the CEC says. This is expected to bring an additional 3.6 gigawatts, a 351.63% increase of power to the market. And out to 2050, according to the Australian Energy Market Operators Integrated System Plan released this week, that figure will grow rapidly, with 47 gigawatts of new battery and hydro storage envisaged by that point. While batteries naturally can store energy for use at a later point, a key role in providing dissatural power from renewable energy sources such as solar and wind, they also play a key role in grid stability in a number of ways, including providing frequency control and ancillary services. And lettuce at more than $10 a head could soon be a thing of the past, thanks to a $56 million cash injection into automated vertical farming business, Stack Farm, which will increase the production of leafy greens in Australia. Flooding and supply chain problems forced KFC to put cabbage in burgers in lieu of lettuce last month, and products such as spinach and lemongrass have been in short supply in some supermarkets. Stacked will use the $56 million to accelerate the establishment's first commercial-scale vertical farm, a 5,000 to 7,000 square metre facility that will have the largest output of leafy green produce per square metre of any indoor vertical farm in the world. Vertical farming involves growing crops indoors in vertically stacked layers and requires vastly less water and no pesticides or agrochemicals. Stacked Chief Executive Conrad Smith said the first facility would focus on green leaf vegetables, lettuce and herbs, but the startup is also investing in ways to grow strawberries, blueberries and scrapes and other staples. And Victoria's workplace regulator has charged an aged care home with dozens of residents died of COVID-19 in 2020. WorkSafe charged St Basil's Home for the Age with failing to provide a safe working environment for its staff and others during the pandemic. The charges relate to an alleged failure to implement the use of personal protective equipment after a staff member tested positive. A subsequent outbreak resulted in 94 staff testing positive for the virus and 45 residents dying of COVID-related complications. St Basil's has been charged with nine breaches, including failing to provide or maintain a safe working environment and failing to allow workers to perform duties without a risk to their health. Each breach carries a maximum fine of $1.49 million, and if convicted, St Basil's could face a penalty of up to $13.41 million. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Josh Emblem, Director APAC for Digital Commerce Platform Commerce Tools. He will share in detail insights on ways in which e-commerce complements brick and mortar stores and why the combined experience is a way of the future as the concept of a store and customer expectations continue to transform. And I'll be talking to Comsec Chief Economist Craig James about their market outlook for the week ahead. In the meantime, catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.